Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. If we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I uh, hope to have an opportunity to meet you before the day's over. And uh, I want to talk a little bit today about uh, how we need to learn to count our blessings. Um, I, I want to conduct a test. I'm going to play a video where you're going to see uh, two teams of people pass a ball back and forth, and you're going to be asked to count the number of times that the, the team dressed in white passes the ball. Now, if you've seen this video before, and I've shown something similar to this here relatively recently in another context, please don't give your neighbor the answer. No cheating. That's the first learning from today's message. Don't tell your, your neighbor the answer. Check it out. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? All right, how many of you saw the moonwalking bear the first time? They say the most intelligent people do not see the bear. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Just wanted to make you feel awkward. That's a nice way to start, right? Uh, Look, I've seen this several times, and I still miss the crazy bear about as often as I see it. Um, This video was produced as the result of a research project by cognitive psychologist Daniel Simons. Simons was investigating a phenomena called sustained unintentional blindness. And one of the things he learned is that we only see what we focus on. And that seeing is actually very difficult. We have to choose what to see. We have to be deliberate to see. We have to pay attention to see. Today I want to talk about how a blessed person practices the discipline of counting their blessings. How intentional gratitude is essential to living a blessed life. One aspect of what it means to be blessed is to see the blessings we already have and to be grateful for them. But to do this, you have to focus on your blessings. And sometimes that's hard to do. There are a lot of distracting things going on in each of our lives, and sometimes those things keep you from seeing the blessings that are standing there dancing right in front of you, pounding their chest saying, look at me, look at me. So we have to try to see our blessings in order to be able to count them. Jesus taught his disciples that there are certain things that he would hide from people if they were not willing to pay attention. Specifically, as we talked about last fall in our parabolic series, he was asked why he told so many parables, and he answered like this. He said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. 
Though hearing, they do not hear or understand, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So Jesus told parables to reveal truth to those who would really pay attention and to conceal truth from those who didn't want to focus on the truth hidden in the story he was telling. I submit that one of the most important blessings is to have blessed eyes and ears, eyes that really see, ears that really hear. Blessed are those in this context who hear what God is saying and see what God is doing and what God has already done. My intention is really not to make a point about parables today. It's to use this principle to say that we need to focus We have to pay attention. We have to try to see the good things that God is doing in our lives. When we focus on the blessings we already have, we accentuate our state of blessedness and we open ourselves up to more and more blessings. Let me say that again. When we focus on the blessings we already have, We accentuate our state of blessing. We become more aware of how blessed we really are. And when that happens, we open ourselves up to the more and more blessings that God so desperately wants to give us. There's this marvelous section in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians where he connects several big ideas that when taken together teach us how to live with a connection to the state of blessedness we're in, and to experience deep peace and deep contentment. It's that part of Philippians where he says, don't worry about anything. Let me take this in three pieces. First of all, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. Thank him for all he has done then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. He says, essentially, if you want to experience peace that transcends human understanding, you need to tell God what you need while thanking him for what you already have. And then he goes on to offer a secret as to how to pray for the things we need while giving thanks for what we have when he says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Notice, fix your thoughts. Focus on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So he says, in order to not worry, to not be anxious, But to tell God everything you need while being thankful, you have to focus on good things. You may be needing more things. You may be facing concerning things. That's okay. Ask for those things, but do it with thanksgiving. Focus on the good and beautiful things that are already on your life. It's like he's saying, ask for blessings, but only ask for blessings when you're focused on the blessings you already have. And then he goes on, Philippians 4, 11, I have learned. The Apostle Paul writes, how to get along happily, whether I have much or little, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want, for I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. 
See, I think this, in fact, is the secret of deep contentment. So Paul, after offering this, says, I've learned how to be content in every circumstance. We are centered in our blessed state when we don't worry but pray, but pray for more while being thankful for what we have. And the key to that is to focus on the good things that are already in our lives. Now, when Paul wrote this, he wasn't a Pollyanna. Uh, Paul had no trouble talking about his troubles, and he had lots of challenges in his life. He had no problem being transparent about those things. Uh, and In fact, when he wrote the words that I've just read to you from, uh, uh, from Philippians, to the Philippians, he wrote to people who were in a church that he had started some 10 years prior. And one of the features to the story of how this church in Philippi got started was that Paul was miraculously set free from prison by an act of God. And the story about that is well known to most of us, but I'll read a, a, kind of the uh, climax of the story here to you in just a moment. So Paul and his traveling companion Silas are thrown in prison for preaching that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, and they're disrupting the normal order of things in Philippi, and a series of events happen that cause them to be thrown in prison. And, and in the book of Acts, we're told about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors threw, flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So, the church in Philippi starts with this at once miracle, earthquake, prison doors open, Paul's chains fall loose. Now, 10 years later, he's writing to the same people, but now he's in prison again. He's in prison again for preaching the good news about Jesus in a way that disrupted the natural order of things. And he's in prison. He's not only in prison, he's in chains. In fact, part of what he says to the Philippians is that it has become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The point is, there is no at once in this story. He's probably still sitting in prison singing hymns and praising God, but there's no earthquake the doors aren't flying open, and the chains are still shackling him. Do you get the point? But Paul says you have to learn to be thankful when you experience the at once, and you have to learn to be thankful when the at once doesn't happen in the way you think it should. We have to learn to be grateful whether the prison doors are opening or the prison doors are staying closed. God hasn't changed. God's still good. God's still being good in us, to us, and through us. But sometimes he's good in us and to us and through us in different seasons, in different ways, in order to work out his purposes through our lives and in this world. But Paul says we have to learn. We have to learn to be content in every circumstance, 
We're praying for the doors to open, but we're at the same time, we're acknowledging that we're grateful even when there aren't. See, Paul was not happy to be in prison, but Paul was happy in prison. Paul was not happy to be in prison. He wasn't saying, oh, this is wonderful, I'm in prison. He's saying, no, I want out, and I know God can get me out. But even while I'm someplace I don't want to be, I'm happy nonetheless. Remember, God works out his purposes in and through our lives in different ways, through different seasons. Sometimes he accomplishes what he wants through jail breaks, and sometimes he accomplishes what he wants through jail ends. But when we trust in him and accept our God-appointed assignments, our circumstances do not affect our joy. Now see, these circumstances... This story gives credibility then to what Paul's writing to the Philippians. You you hear his words uh, again, expanded on. Philippians 4, again, he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Where are you, Paul? In prison. What are you doing? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Think about the good thing and be thankful for it. Present your request to God. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And it's that kind of life experience and understanding and practice and focusing on the good that caused Paul to also be able to write a very famous uh, uh, word to the Thessalonians when he wrote, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks when in all circumstances. Broke through from broke free from prison, sitting in prison, chains falling off, chains still on. The at once miracle happens. The at once miracle hasn't happened yet. Give thanks in all circumstances. Thankfully, we're not told to be thankful for every circumstance. We're not thankful to be told, we're not told to be thankful for every circumstance. We are not to be thankful for evil things that happen, nor for injurious or damaging things, but we are to be thankful while we are in all circumstances. In situations large and small, we can find reasons to be thankful in circumstances that we're not necessarily thankful for. We have the ability to choose what to focus on. Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe is one of the most popular adventure histories in uh, novels in history. You've probably read it. A young uh, Crusoe set off on a sea voyage in search of a life of adventure after enduring a shipwreck in which he was the sole survivor, he suffered a chain of misfortunes. He found himself cast away on a remote island. He was repeatedly chased by wild animals, hounded by the locals who lived there, who were quite belligerent. He endured severe bouts of loneliness and depression. During a particularly painful time, he started to panic at his devastating predicament and then decided to write a two-column list juxtaposing the good versus evil aspects of his circumstance. 
And under the evil column, he wrote, I am cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. But then on the other side, on the good side, he countered with a good statement, but I am alive and not drowned, as all my ship's company was. On the evil side, he wrote, I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. On the good side, he wrote, but God wonderfully sent the ship in near enough to the shore that I have gotten out so many necessary things as will either supply my wants or enable me to supply myself even as long as I live, and the list goes on. And Crusoe closed his compare and contrast experiment with these words. Upon the whole, here was an undoubted testimony that there was scarce any condition in the world so miserable, but there was something negative or something positive to be thankful for in it. See, in spite of his circumstances, Crusoe was thankful. And to be thankful, he had to practice a certain discipline of focusing on the good, yet in the realistic context of what wasn't so good, and to continue to believe the best for his future. Even in his barren place, he cultivated a better life for himself until he was rescued. You can, I can, choose what to focus on. We can choose what to see. We can fix our thoughts on the good and practice thanksgiving in every circumstance. So let me spend the rest of my time today by talking about uh, several different uh, life situations, circumstances that we need to learn to count our blessings in. Okay? Everybody doing okay? Everybody up there okay? All right. Just making sure. If your neighbor's nodding off, hit them hard with your elbow. All right. And then tell them to be thankful for the pain they felt. They, they need to listen. All right. So count your blessings even when things are going great. Count your blessings even when things are going great. Now, it may seem obvious that someone would be grateful when things are going great, but if you're anything like me, then when your life is full of blessings, you don't stop long enough to focus on your blessings, count your blessings, and say thank you. Rather, if you're like me, you're quickly thinking about the next thing that you want or need. Uh, it's like that story of the 10 lepers who were healed by Jesus. We're told in Luke's gospel that one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. 10 were healed. How many came back? One of them. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. When Jesus, then Jesus asked the obvious question, where are the other nine? Well, the other nine, even though they'd also been miraculously healed from a terribly disfiguring and contagious disease, had already moved on. Just this one guy received his healing and came back to say thanks. I confess that if I'm not careful, I can be more like the other nine than the one. I receive something wonderful from God or from people, and I start moving on towards the next thing. We have to frequently remind ourselves how important it is to practice gratitude for what we already have and sometimes to want what we already have. There's a certain discipline in that, to be thankful for what we have and to want what we have and to always not be focused on wanting what we don't have. 
And furthermore, to not be grateful for what we've already been given is just plain rude. God wants us to be thankful for what he's already done. I think God wants us to practice gratitude not only because it's the right thing to do, but it's the best thing to do to really help us connect to the state of blessedness that we are in fact in. Remember, God wants us to be happy. He wants us to enjoy our lives. And when we focus on our blessings, we enjoy our lives more. I really like the work of University of Southern California Professor Robert A. Emmons, and I've seen a work of his in several places, but particularly I enjoy his book, Thanks, How Practicing Gratitude Can Make You Happier. And from uh, the perspective of a social scientist, he has, he's an expert in the science of gratitude, how it affects people's lives. And his findings support the thread that we find throughout Scripture that extols the importance and advantages of gratitude. He writes, for instance, that research reveals that blessings multiply when we count our blessings. Blessings multiply when we count our blessings. He says that there's scientific proof that when people regularly engage in the systematic or systemic cultivation of gratitude, they experience a variety of measurable benefits. So just by counting your blessings, focusing on the good in your life, expressing thanksgiving. There are measurable benefits, even scientifically. These benefits, according to Emmons, include higher levels of positive emotions, such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism, and higher levels of protection from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. Emmons intimates further that the disciplined practice of gratitude helps relieve stress, aids in healing and recovery from illness, supports strong physical health, and enhances relationships. And he sums all of that up like this. Gratitude, we have found, maximizes the enjoyment of the good, our enjoyment of others, of God, and of our lives. So, Part of why we're taught in Scripture to be thankful is it helps us to enjoy the life that we already have. It doesn't mean that we may not want more, but we always ask for more while being thankful for what we already have. And there are also ample reasons to believe that if we're not thankful for what we have, that God will not give us more. For instance, and there's an entire chapter uh, in your reading this week in The Lord Bless You called Ingrates, where I dig into this particular story. An obvious example are the children of Israel who were not allowed to enter the promised land that had been promised to them as part of the blessing of Abraham because they were ungrateful complainers who in their ingratitude manifested a lack of faith. God didn't let them experience the new blessings that were theirs in the promised land because they grumbled about their present circumstance. And this was something God wanted to give them. But their ingratitude kept them from receiving what God wanted to give them. It came to their children instead. When we see our blessings, when we count our blessings, when we name our blessings, we experience higher levels of present happiness and we also see greater future possibilities. Another finding in uh, the science of gratitude and uh, doing things that cultivate our state of blessedness or or happiness, we may say, 
is uh, in some of the work that's been done around happiness. For instance, I, I love the work of Sean Acor, the Harvard professor who launched the very popular uh, happiness seminar at Harvard, uh, which at least at one point was the most popular class at all of Harvard. And part of what he discovered is that the science says that when someone is in a state of happiness, they literally physically see more. They're able to see more physically. They're able to see more. Well, I like to think about how uh, Scripture says that, 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 our eye, that our heart has eyes. We're talk, we talk about the eyes of our heart. And I think when we're in a state of gratefulness, that brings us into a place of hope and happiness, that the eyes of our heart see more, that we see more possibility. And, 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 and so in order to see what's possible, in order to see the next and the new thing God has for us, in order to move into the future God wants for us, we must be grateful for what we have and our gratefulness connects us to our state of happiness and our state of happiness opens our eyes to the good things that God has for our lives both now and in the future. So when things are going great, Take the time to focus on the good and to be thankful. God still has more for you, which is what I preach about a lot. But first, he wants you to be grateful for what you already have. Okay, here's the next thing. We must count our blessings even when life happens. You know life happens, right? Life presents multitudinous challenges, even to people who are blessed and fulfilling their purpose. In fact, I think sometimes it might even, there might be more challenges that come to people who are blessed and fulfilling their purposes. That's when the resistance seems to really show up. Well, um, let me tell you a story that I've told before and I've actually written about in, in, in my first book, Live 10, but uh, I never think you should tell a good story just once, so pardon if you've heard this, but several years ago, I was involved in a major initiative in partnership with some uh, leaders in uh, the Christian church in the New York City region and a major uh, international parachurch organization where they were, uh, we were negotiating uh, bringing leadership training into the New York City region that would impact many thousands of people and raise the level of leadership among Christian Christian business people and, and uh, lay leaders in churches and pastors in the region. And um, uh, all of this was about to be finalized, and I was given an opportunity uh, to uh, cast vision to a group of leaders from New York City about this initiative. And I was going back about 15 years, and I was, uh, uh, I was excited about this opportunity. I believed in the cause, and uh, I was all prepared to, to, to uh, go do this thing. And so the day that this is supposed to happen, I made the mistake on a very hot and humid summer day of working out on the treadmill until the last possible moment when I could get in the shower, get ready, and catch the train. So, so after even after cold showering and uh, putting on the requisite for this particular occasion, jacket and tie, when I got on the New Jersey Transit train, I was still sweating like I was uh, on the treadmill and regretting the fact that I had made this decision to work out too long. And uh, the air conditioning wasn't working on the, on the train. 
train. And, and plus the train was running late. And I found myself getting nervous, frankly panicked, that uh, I was going to miss this engagement or when I showed up, I was going to be a mess. And I, two of my uh, staff buddies at that time, who many of you will remember, Andrew McLeese and Thomas Mahoney were with me, and, and we were a little concerned, but they weren't all that concerned at that point. We get off the train at Penn Station, jostle the crowd, we'll go up to 7th Avenue and start walking the four New York City blocks to the venerable Bowery Mission, which is a beautiful uh, place for this kind of occasion. And... Um, we're about two blocks into the walk when the bird cow found me. I say bird cow because cows aren't supposed to fly, but the magnitude of the mess that hit the left side of my finely tailored blue jacket could only have come from a cow, so perhaps we'll call it a bird cow. And it was of such magnitude that it knocked me off stride. And I don't know exactly what this uh, bird cow had been eating, but evidently copious amounts of mustard, some kind of peppercorn, and evidently seaweed. And uh, it was all over the left side of my jacket. My heart's beating fast. I'm already sweating. I'm a little bit of a mess. It's a big moment for actually a lot of people, but you know, for, for me and what was important to me. And I'm standing there thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Well, Thomas and Andrew, who typically would have laughed at something like this, didn't even crack a smile. They knew this was a moment of great import <laughs> and that, that the, the, the guy who was supposed to be speaking to it was a mess. And they, they saw Dunkin' Donuts went running into it, I guess, to find napkins and water or something. And I'm standing out there and I look to my right and there is a, is a little courtyard leading into a church and the door to the church is open. And I think I hear heaven's music playing because because surely there's a solution in there. And I go in there as quickly as I can, and I walk into what I would call from my tradition a lobby. But I was in a church, a Christian church, but of a different de denominational background, and they probably wouldn't call it a lobby. They'd call it something fancy like a narthex or something. But as you learn, I'm somewhat ignorant, or at least was, of things like that. And I'm just looking for a priest or a restroom, and I see neither. The gates, uh, there are gates to the hallways on either side, and I think, oh, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But then I turn around, and it seems like a miracle. Pouring out of the wall is a beautiful fountain with beautiful water pouring into a waste-level basin. And that water is so pure and so beautiful, and I think God has provided a miracle for me. And by then, Thomas and Andrew were standing there next to me. We're the only ones in the lobby. And again, guys, you have to hear me. You're going to hear a big apology in this, but I'm not thinking at all, and I'm ignorant of certain things and traditions and didn't really understand what was going on. We just started rubbing and dabbing and Dunkin' Donut napkining on my jacket, and it was like we were performing, they, they, the, Thomas and Andrew were looking at me like we're performing open heart surgery, and then I notice that there's a line of people behind me. And I turn around and think, why are all these people watching me wash this stuff off my jacket? And then realization hits me, and then deep embarrassment, humiliation, and sorrow hits me when I realize that I've been cleaning my jacket off in the holy water. <laughs> of course, I immediately, when it hit me, as it should have in the first place, it was a terrible thing to do, I 
offer a loud apology to a group of people who look like perhaps uh, I should be executed or something. I make my way through the crowd out the door. Now, here's the thing. I end up getting to the place I'm supposed to go. I find an air-conditioned room. There's a bathroom where I get all cleaned up, and by the time I walked out and spoke, everything was fine. The leadership initiative showed up. Thousands of people have been, have been trained in this leadership thing over the last uh, probably 15 years, but, but here's the deal. Life happens when you're on your way to your destiny. Stuff sometimes seems like it just falls out of the sky to try to keep you from accomplishing the things that you need to accomplish in your life. Stuff happens to all of us, all kinds of stuff. Some of it, probably a lot of it, is what I would call lowercase s stuff, at least in the big picture of life. You know, you're interrupted on your way to a speaking engagement, lower S stuff, or the boss doesn't like you and won't promote you. A star employee decides to take her talent elsewhere. The coach likes another position, another player at your position better than you for reasons only known to him. The tenants damage your house. Your industry undergoes intractable changes. And then there are seasons when all kinds of bad stuff seem to just fall out of the sky. And you attempt to make it better, but in your attempt to make it better, you just make it worse. But here's the deal. If you'll just keep moving forward, you'll get there, and at some point, you'll look back maybe and even laugh at some of that lowercase s stuff. And then there's... And then there's uppercase S stuff, big S stuff. You battle with a chronic illness. Someone you love is diagnosed with cancer. Your mom or dad has Alzheimer's. You lose your job. One of your children strays from their faith. We'll talk a little bit more about some of that uppercase S stuff in a minute, but here's what I'm trying to say, stuff happens, life happens to all of us. We are blessed, but we experience blessing in the context of a fallen world. See, Adam and Eve, who we've talked a lot about in recent weeks, were blessed in Eden, but we're blessed in the wilderness, meaning that because of Adam and Eve's choice, we're blessed in an environment where there's challenge all around. We face challenges that come from within ourselves. We face challenges from people, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. We face resistance from our spiritual enemy, the very forces of evil. I can't help but be reminded of something I've thought about hundreds of times in my life and in my ministry where the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. I, I, I just like this picture. Paul says, God opened this door for me and I walk through the door and somebody's standing on the other side and they hit me in the mouth. And that seems to be the way life is. Blessings come, but it seems like blessings come at the same time all kind of challenges are being faced in our lives. This is how life is. Even in the midst of blessing, we still face challenge and resistance, but we must be thankful in all circumstances. 
We must stay focused on the blessing part. We must not be distracted from gratitude. We must remember that God really is working everything out for our good, that many times what seems to be bad news ends up being good news, and that even what the enemy meant is evil, God will work for good. And then finally, we must count our blessings even when darkness appears to be winning. Now I'm talking strictly about uppercase S stuff. I love the story of how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We we know that the story has a happy ending. But the story begins dark and sad, and the people involved in the story did not know the story would end well. John tells us that a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Think of this as an intercessory prayer. The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. And then one of the most amazing sentences in all of the New Testament in my view. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I mean, essentially, they pray. Our brother is sick. We know you can heal him. And then, because Jesus loves Mary and Martha, what does he do? Nothing. He waits. Two more days. And he does it, we're told, because he really did love Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Again, we know that the story has a happy ending, but that's not what they were experiencing because during those two days, their brother dies. Well, this illustrates a really important truth, guys. Sometimes because God loves us, he waits He doesn't do for us what we think we want because he has something better for us than we can even imagine. They're about to experience a resurrection, a resurrection that wouldn't happen except for the death. Sometimes we're sad and desperate and even angry about some desperate thing, but Jesus is at peace because he sees into our future and he knows something better then what we think we want will be ours if we can just get through the darkness. We send him messages. We pray, Lord, I lost my job. I want a job now. Or, Lord, I want this for my kids, and and I, I need it now. Or, I want to get married, and I want to get married soon. And we wonder why we're in this perpetual state of waiting But it's often because he is waiting, and he is waiting because he loves us and has something better for us than we can even comprehend. When Jesus finally showed up, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and then Jesus engaged in a conversation with Martha, who was upset. Mary's even more upset. She didn't even come out to meet him initially, and he asked Martha whether or not she believes in him and whether she believes he can raise the dead. And she replied, yes, 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The word believe here, do you believe in me, Jesus said, is better understood in our vernacular as trust. He's he's not saying, do you believe that I exist? He's saying, do you believe that I am who I say I am and that I will do what I say I will do? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? To believe in someone is more than, again, just believing they exist. It's about trusting that they are who they say they are and will do what they say they will do, which illustrates another important truth. Sometimes God waits because he wants us to learn to trust him. He has something better for us than we even thought possible, but he needs us to trust him during the waiting. Guys, I know that's easier said than done. But he wants us to learn. To, he's waiting because he loves you so much. And when we're grateful, when we're grateful, even while Lazarus is in the tomb, even while Jesus doesn't seem to be showing up, even when we're still imprisoned and the chains haven't yet fallen off like we know they have and can, while we're grateful, even while our dream appears dead, while a negative situation appears to have gotten worse, while our prayers appear to have not been answered, we show God we trust him. When we're grateful in every circumstance, we show God we trust him, our gratitude shows that we know he really will work good through every circumstances. And then there are two other things in this story that are worth pointing out quickly. First, this is where Jesus weeps. You know, Jesus wept the shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Frederick Dale Bruner translates it, uh, Jesus bawled. Now Mary is there and Jesus gets caught up in their pain, even though he knows that he's about to deliver them from their pain, but he empathizes with them in their weakness. Listen, just because he's waiting doesn't mean he doesn't feel you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's not in it with you. It doesn't mean that he's not going to walk with you through the difficult time, even though he knows things you don't about what he can and will do in your future. Trust him. And be grateful, even in the darkness. But after he cried, he then thankfully roared. John 11, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. Again, Frederick Dale Bruner translates it, he roared with a loud voice. Look, guys, most of the dark things I have dealt with in my life have been resolved with a Jesus roars moment. My experience is at some point, the earthquake comes, the prison doors fly open, the chains fall off. That's my experience in most things in my life. A prayer so powerfully answered, it's as if some dead person has come alive again. Then there are things I face that I still face, where I know he's with me and cares for me, but for whatever his reasons, I'm still waiting. And I'm left to trust him and I'm called to practice gratitude in a situation in which it feels as if darkness is winning. Here's what I promise you. Regardless your circumstance, even when it seems like darkness is winning, God is at work 
And I promise you this, he is doing good in you, to you, and through you in ways that are better than you can even imagine. And sometimes the temporary darkness makes the inevitable light that's coming so much brighter. C.S. Lewis wrote about the good that would not exist except for the darkness. He said that in every human story, as in divine history, there are two catastrophes. And I write about this in the Lord bless you in case you want to revisit it. The first, Lewis says, is utter ruin. The catastrophe of disintegration and undoing. The end of life as we know it. Light extinguished in death's dark triumph. The crucifixion, for instance. The bad catastrophe. The second, he says, is the good catastrophe. The reintegrating and remaking. New hope rising out of the ashes the good that would not otherwise be the resurrection. In other words, when we stand on Easter and sing, tri sing triumphant songs of resurrection, we know there would have been no catastrophic event called the resurrection if there hadn't been the bad catastrophic event that we now celebrate and call Good Friday because we know how the story ends. No resurrection if there hadn't have been a crucifixion. But somehow or another, everything's better after the resurrection than it ever was before the crucifixion. Sometimes the bad catastrophe creates an opportunity for something good to exist that never would have existed except for what appeared to be only bad had happened. It doesn't mean that the bad thing isn't real. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it isn't, isn't full of pain. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't be mourned. It doesn't mean any of those things. But somehow, even in that circumstance, see, we must learn to be grateful in that circumstance because we know, always know, that resurrection is coming. It's inevitable. God always takes every sad thing, as Tolkien wrote, and makes it untrue. And we're not going to fully see that until the age to come, but we taste it now. Somehow or another, whatever you're facing, I promise you, if you will trust him, if you will be thankful in every circumstance, you are going to see something better on the other side than you ever imagined. So we must learn to count our blessings when things are going great. When the normal stuff of life is happening that we all face, and even in the midst of the darkness, because you're going to have a better story to tell on the other side because you serve a God who is absolutely determined to bless you.